Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ben Miller and Paul Fifield. Ben is the managing partner of Miller Growth Advisory, coach of Scalewise and interim VP of sales at Abling. He's managed sales teams across 15 countries, delivering sales to customers in 60 countries. Paul is the CEO and co-founder of Sales Impact Academy and has 18 years of experience in founding and scaling global companies. And the three areas we're going to be focusing on today are, first of all, tackling this perception of sales success being driven by an alpha, female or male approach, using data to drive your hiring process and repeatable revenue and how to get more scientific with it, and why coaching and circulating success are even more important than ever in this current climate. So sit back, grab a pen and pad and enjoy. Paul and Ben, welcome to Not Another Sales Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Good to be here. For for people that are tuning in, and there's probably very few of them that don't recognize either of you, uh, it'd be great to give them a bit of context, a background around your story. So Ben, if we could start with you, please. Uh, sure. Um, I started off actually as a software engineer uh, many years ago, uh, writing code for a long time. Um, I then accidentally sold something. Um, a story that's worth a beer or two, probably not a whole podcast. Uh, and the company I was in, in very quickly pushed me into the sales direction. For the following 20 years, I was an AE. I ran sales teams. I ran a team spanning 15 countries uh, with staff and 65 with customers. Uh, I've been in various venture and PE-back companies from kind of 15 people up to 1,000. Um Last, well, this March, just a few months past, I left the place I was at uh, following some sort of COVID impact and uh, started my own business, which is sales and marketing consultancy for tech startups, typically in the kind of seed A, B stage, looking to turn their technical expertise into sales and marketing expertise. And I work with uh, a number of clients providing varying degrees of support. Great. Thank you for that. And yourself, Paul? It's an impressive background, Ben. Um, so I uh, always been sort of entrepreneurial, um, setting up companies on about five now. I've joined a couple as well in the last 20 years. Last 10 is probably where it got the most interesting in that um, co-founded a company called Seros um, out in New York, a SaaS company in the sort of creative space, kind of like a 
a, a business version of Canva um, happily about four weeks ago. Um, a private equity firm bought 56% of it um, for $100 million, which is great. Um, so valued it at $160 million. Um, so that was my first sort of decent sort of exit event. Um, kind of ironic that it's happened in, in this particular sort of year. Um, I then came back from uh, New York in about 15, joined a business in the student space called Uni Days. Um, There's about 12 people there at the time. Uh, we went from two to 40 million in three years. I built a 100 person commercial team, essentially took what I'd learned in the US and sort of brought back this uh, ability to, to sort of create a, a predictable, repeatable revenue function um, and, uh, and, and put it to, to, to pretty decent effect there. As I say, grew about about 100 people. We had a big team in New York. We had a big team in Sydney as well. Um, and um, and that was great. And then popped out of there pretty knackered after 10 years of 100 plus hours a week um, and enormous amounts of like stress uh, through that most of that time. Uh, I did a lot of voluntary teaching, uh, just trying to sort of get, you know, give back a little bit. And that's when I realized that there are these massive, massive knowledge gaps in B2B sales and marketing driven, and I won't go into this now, but driven fundamentally by the fact that there is absolutely zero formal training in sales actually anywhere in the world. And I think it's a massive, uh, a massive letdown by the global education system. Um, but like I say, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a rabbit hole we shouldn't go down. But to try and solve this problem, I've now created um, Sales Impact Academy. So I'm now CEO and co-founder of Sales Impact Academy. And we're trying to sort of fix this B2B sales and marketing knowledge gap at a massive scale through remote um, online uh, teaching and what will become MOOCs, as I think they, they call them in the, uh, in the industry. So sort of massive um, online classes. Mm, great. Great. Well, thank you both for joining me. And to your point there, Paul, actually, I think I heard you on a podcast a few weeks ago talking about that with the lack of education around sales. And yeah. I actually know a couple of universities in Scotland who've started doing degrees in sales um, wow. around that. Yeah. Uh, I was speaking to a guy who has come out of one of them. He's just gone into Oracle, actually. Um, a guy called Zane Curtis. Uh, shout out to him. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, they've started doing sales degrees out there which is great but i think it should be a bit like military service really i think everyone should should go and sample a bit of sales um while they can um so yeah thank you both again for joining me and, and one of the things that you know in this in the second series of not another sales podcast that i've been really enjoying getting people's perception on is because of how selling has evolved people have evolved like society has evolved there's still quite a lot of these myths or throwaway comments that were thrown out there years ago and have kind of just stuck or sort of Chinese whispers have just sort of been misunderstood as we go and one of the things when we were talking about before I was really interested to get your thoughts on because it's something that still exists is this idea that sales leaders and sales people still need to have this kind of alpha female alpha male approach to be successful so i wanted to get your thoughts on that in terms of why do you think that is and, and where do you think a truer version of that sits at the moment so paul if i start with you what's your what are your thoughts on that so um yeah this is a particular bugbear of mine um and i still think that this perception as you say of these hard charging, you know, sort of baseball bat wielding, maybe not quite as bad as that, but certainly that kind of perception that you have to be this really aggressive leader, this really aggressive manager to get good results. And 
you know, CEOs particularly, maybe CEOs that even hadn't really had too much commercial experience. There might be, uh, they might be te- technical, technical founders, let's say, perhaps, uh, that just, just believe that the culture needs to be like, you know, boiler room, high pressure, and that's how you get results. And if a sales team isn't operating like that, then it's obviously not a very good sales team. Um, I actually do think that one of the biggest um, uh, biggest things that's contributed to this perception, I think, is that film uh, Glenn, Gar- Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, and I, I do think it's the worst thing that ever happened to sales is that, is that movie. Uh, and that scene with kind of Alec Baldwin where he's like, you know, he's in there and he's talking about always be closing and it's all aggressive, you know, uh, you know, high testosterone, all this kind of stuff. I do think that's the work, literally, <laughs> it could be the single worst thing that's ever happened to the sales profession um, is that movie. And, and, and literally, it, could, it couldn't be more wrong. Right, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a member of the the Revenue Collective, which I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners are also members of. Most of the people that I've met there are just really lovely, down to earth, you know, people, very smart. Um, that approach sales in much more sort of cerebral, scientific, data driven, empathetic manner. Um, so that, that's one sort of data point that, that completely dis, dis, disproves it. I, I don't think that, you know, you're, you're a good leader if you create, you know, these high pressure environments and these kind of low empathy, high pressure environments. It's not just conducive either to good management and good leadership. And the other interesting data point that I've had, and I'd be keen obviously to get Ben's view on this, because obviously Ben came from a, non, a non-sales background, um, uh, coming from engineering. But I had a, I had a guy in my team, um, I won't, probably it's not fair to name him, but when, when we're back in, in, in uni days, and if you met him, you literally would have thought he was a developer. Um, he was incredibly introverted. Um, I remember in the interview process, he showed me some of the, a paper he'd written about something and I was like wow this this guy's absolutely amazing I think he's going to be absolutely fantastic at sales and and it, and it actually turned out that he was and he was like I say massively introverted he but he really listened and I think people and that's that's the key right in, in complex sales it's about listening and seeing if we can solve problems and he really listened and he was really empathetic and I think very quickly people felt like you know he was on their side trying to help them solve solve, solve problems and he won brands like Nike and Samsung I mean he drove millions and millions and millions of pounds of revenue um, into that into that business and like I say you'd, you'd, you'd have literally thought he was a developer uh, if, you, if you met him like uh, in, in, at a social event mm. yeah it's interesting isn't it because of, of this kind of perception around the alpha male and female is all of these extrovert outgoing qualities that can be perceived as strengths can be just as much of a weakness I had a, a guy a few years ago when I was in a training company who would go out and he comes back and he, he'd get meetings, but he just wouldn't go any further than that. And he just didn't know what was going on. And everyone was like, you know, he talks really well. He He's articulate, he's confident, but you went into a meeting with him and you realized he didn't shut up because he just, he loved his sound of his voice so much that he didn't actually have any time to listen. So what he perceived as a really good strength and CEOs or leaders might think it's what is one of his biggest weaknesses, which to your point there with the person was the opposite. They listened, they, they spoke when they needed to. What are your, what about you, yourself, Ben? What are your thoughts on, on that myth? Yeah, no, it absolutely is a myth. And I think, I think it's always been a myth, but it was a lot truer in the past. 
uh, the last 10 years particularly, but maybe the last 20 with the, the rise of the, the whole kind of internet and democratizing of information is that particularly in B2B sales and B2C, the buyer probably knows as much about their problem, about the potential solutions in your company as the salesperson does by the time they're in contact with you. And in fact, if you look at the huge drive to content marketing, we're almost trying to create that scenario um, that we give people knowledge. So you don't have this idea anymore of sales experts who know the domain are coming to teach you the buyer. You actually have buyers who understand the domain really, really well. And uh, to Paul's point, what the salesperson has to do is really find out whether there is a good fit and not just force a fit. If there isn't a fit, there isn't a fit, and you move on, good for the sales team, good for the customer as well. And if you're doing that, um, you're getting much more value out of the leads you have, you're being much more efficient with your sales time, and you're not a kind of winner or costs alpha leader or alpha salesperson, but you're actually um, trying to become a partner with the customer to make a good decision for them. And uh, you absolutely have to have that combination of, you know, a degree of extrovertness. You do have to pick up the phone and make uncomfortable calls at times as a salesperson. You have to sit there in silence and wait for them to react to you at times. And these are tricky things for people to do. Um, but those, those introvert skills where you listen and you really engage and really care about them are, are so important. And that's, that's also a training thing, right? If you're a sales leader, sales training is really important. Whether you can do it all yourself or you have a sales enablement team or, or third-party support, you always have to understand the strengths and weaknesses. Your example, Chris, of the guy who didn't shut up. People have to understand this stuff. And people who listen to their own sales team, they listen to the CEO, they listen to the customers, are people who can build teams which... Uh, will show loyalty, who will deliver, who will put 12 hours in when it's needed, not just because you crack the whip and so on. And, uh, you know, I think you have to have a much more rounded leader who listens more and really understands more about the sales model than, than that alpha person that, uh, as you say, long since passed their time. Mm. Do you think or how much do you think social media plays into this myth still going in terms of what we see or what you perceive we see from, you know, entrepreneurs is kind of like hustle attitude and and what we see on even platforms like LinkedIn is it's it's very much around this kind of idea. Do you think that plays into it? Whereas underneath we're not seeing the people that are breaking that stereotype as much? It's interesting. Um so I mean social media tends to amplify any stereotype, right? Uh just very much its nature. And if you look at salespeople on LinkedIn, for example, they're advertising all their successes. Number of times they were 110% over, hit presence club and stuff. And of course, that's what you as a recruiter is looking for. You want to hire people who succeed. Um, I mean, the, the stereotypical founder these days is much more technically oriented than than commercial oriented, and I'm talking stereotype, you know, in that sort of social planet. So, I'm not I'm not sure that that is something I would have um, have said was part of the issue, um, other than social media generally emphasising stereotypes. So, um, I think it's I mean I think it's something we all I mean everybody kind of has this feeling, don't they, that salespeople are slightly a slightly dubious individuals who are there just to kind of drag your money out your wallet. And it's, it's that same, it's that same myth that's with it. Um, and successful people aren't like that. And I think that people who enjoy buying something find salespeople who aren't like that. Yeah, I agree. I don't, 
I don't necessarily see that it propagates this <clears throat> this issue of alpha male, alpha female. I think I think LinkedIn's become this kind of slightly bizarre bazaar <laughs> of, of pithy sales thinking. <laughs> it's like, what can I do that's kind of quite kind of like clever that might get a post with five hundred likes, um, and uh, and perhaps maybe maybe like this. Too, too much, too too much trans, like an over transparency almost. Um, of people are kind of over 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 sharing, perhaps. But yeah, I don't think any anything particularly is contributing to the, this, mm. this myth. So when it comes to trying to avoid this this stereotype of believing you need an alpha female or male succeeds, when it comes down to hiring, if people have it, do have these kind of misconceptions how do they how do they avoid that kind of conscious or subconscious um, biases when you are looking for the right kind of people and i know we spoke about this before paul and you mentioned it at the start around being very sort of data focused around it what's what's what are your thoughts on that process um i've got a lot of thoughts on this, on this process for sure i will just say one one thing before we continue i don't know if anyone's read uh good to great the jim jim collins book there was some, some, I actually have to be completely honest. I, I read it on, I read it on, on Blinkist. So uh, I got the summary, but um, well, I remember one of the point, one of the salient points was actually they did a study comparing um, extroverted and introverted CEOs. And actually what they found was that the introverted CEOs were significantly more successful than the extroverted CEOs. And I think it comes back down to the point that we're sort of making is that those extroverts, they, have, they sort of believe their own hype. They're, they don't potentially like listen uh, to people as much as they should. And they believe that they've got the answers, right? And then I think that, that's kind of what the, what the sort of summary was. Whereas obviously the introverted leaders were very open to, to listening and they, and they wanted to absorb as many data points as they possibly could to then make a good decision. So I think, I think the same thing you can probably apply. I'm sure if you did a study of, of introverted versus extroverted sales leaders, you, you'd, you'd probably get a fairly sort of similar, um, similar result. When we were at, um, when I was at uni days, we were really scaling really, really fast. And I think we hired about 50 people over a four-month period in four different offices um, around the world. And I, and I remember thinking before we'd sort of press the button on this kind of like fairly insane growth, bearing in mind we didn't even ever raise capital, like external capital in this journey. We, we were completely self-financing. So I felt this was like literally it was almost, um, you know, this was like either going to make me or break me as a, as a CRO, like in the company and just generally. Right? And so I was really anxious about how to how to do this, right? Without pulling in 50 people very quickly who were going to affect the culture and not be great at their jobs and all this kind of stuff. But one of the one of the things that was really like front, front was front of mind was how do I avoid this unconscious bias and maybe even conscious bias. And, you know, we are, we can easily say it sitting in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a session like this. Once, the, once, once you're actually in front of people and you're, and you're maybe talking to someone who's a bit more introverted and you're talking to someone who's more extroverted, clearly, like, just things like energy levels in the room are going to perhaps be a little bit different. Now, we, so we can easily get almost sucked in right, by these 
by these kind of extroverts. And always people always say, and I think it's a bit of a lazy thing to say anyway, but people always say, oh, it's quite hard hiring in America because they're all such good salespeople. And it's like, well, if you're relying on what's just in front of you and what they're saying in your hiring process, then you have a pretty shitty hiring, <laughs> pretty shitty hiring process. So we were thinking really carefully about how we make sure that we optimize for absolutely the best talent not uh, and, and not be biased towards these kind of like these bigger personalities. So, um, I mean, I have to say, I like a literally ripped off um, uh, sales acceleration formula. So, Mark Roberge's book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he like literally everything he does is like you know data driven. And, you know, he put data even at the heart of hiring. And I literally just lifted what he did and replicated it. And it worked like an absolute dream. And what he did, just very, very briefly, is he looked at the attributes that make a good, um, successful salesperson within HubSpot. Okay. And his main one actually ended up being coachability, but there was like, there was, there was four, four others. So we're like, okay, well, let's start there. Let's look at what the, what the actual attributes that make up a really good salesperson or a commercial person within, within the Unidays team. And by then, we had about maybe 20 or 30 people. So we'd already hired you know, some wrong people. So we kind of knew what we didn't want to hire. We, we sent out a questionnaire to the whole team. We started pulling back like data points. And we actually ended up with seven attributes that we felt um, were, were really, really important to um, a successful person within, within the team. We then created a hiring process that was literally exactly the same for every single hiring process. Um, we also were going to be doing a lot of hiring. So we're like, right, one of the constraints that we, what we have is that we only want three in-person touch points. But if we're, if we're looking at hiring all these people, how do we, how do we maybe like use other touch points to create more scoring opportunities, right? So what we decided to do is we, so we, 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 we had the seven attributes. Um, we created questions within the in-person interviews and every question was very carefully thought through and then laddered back to one of these attributes, right? And then, and then we gave it a score. And then we're thinking, right, let's score the CV, right? So let's, let, let, let's create that as a scoring opportunity. So we created a, a, a scoring opportunity on CV. One of the things we were looking for was intelligence. Another thing we were looking for was attention to detail. You can actually start to get some of that data purely from the CV. Now, are there, are there, is it accurate? Is it, well, does it, does it come across nice? Is it, are there any spelling errors? The next thing we did is pre the first screening call, we actually sent out an email with four questions. And then we were timing, scoring things like time to response. Again, we're scoring things like, you know, uh, is, is the reply really, really verbose? Does, uh, or is it nice and succinct? Spelling errors, all this kind of thing. Then we did the screening. Then we did a follow-up email right, with some more questions. And we couched it like, oh, you know, we've got to ask a couple of, couple of questions. Would you mind just kind of answering back? Again, we're, we're timing a res kind of response. And we're scoring everything. So what we've done here, we've actually created by the end of the, just the first screening call and that email, four, four scoring opportunities, right? <clears throat> then, yeah, it, then they went to the next two, two, two stages. I then trained all of the, of the hiring managers to, to follow exactly the same process because obviously that then meant the data was, 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 uh, we had some integrity, integrity to it. And we, and we kicked it off. And it was just incredible. We, 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 initially, the hiring managers were like, Paul, you've gone absolutely mad again. <laughs> what, what is all this? But what actually interesting, what happened was, whereas normally you do a lot of prep 
Um, and sometimes if you're super lazy and you're hiring, you just do a CV review with the person. Like literally the CV wasn't even in the room for the in-persons because we'd already done, we knew exactly what we were going to be asking in each, in, in each session. And what actually happened was they went, oh my God, this is absolutely mad, Paul, to this is great actually because I know I've got an interview in an hour's time. I don't even need to any prep for it because I know exactly what I'm asking, what, what I'm asking them. Of course, I'll have a quick review of the CV just to refresh my memory. But all I have to do is kind of follow follow this, these 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 kind of these kind of questions, um, and, and then kind of like and then score appropriately. We created these Google Forms, and we created this massive data set, and we started seeing, um, you know, how people were scoring. And then over time, the idea, if I'd have stayed at the business, was that we would then start to use data to then predict future success. Uh, and we were absolutely on that path. But just doing that project and approaching it in that way, we had pretty much. Uh, pretty much zero attrition across all those 50 hires in just four months. And importantly, I'm very confident that we mitigated a significant amount of like, you know, bias, both conscious and unconscious. Mm. And and through that process, did you, did you reflect on that and realize that there were any biases that you were holding before you went through that in particular? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, we, we all have, we all absolutely have them. If you say you haven't got them, then you're not being very, very sort of truthful to yourselves. But I'm, I'm, I was confident that we we mitigated them as much as as much as much as possible through the testing and through the questioning, and how we related that back to the scoring. Mm. I do, um, I do love that process, Paul. Um, I think it's, I think it's a really, really good approach. And the thing that I have always said in these situations, whether you're hiring. 50 people over four months which is obviously the extreme or you're hiring one person a new sales leader in a, in a relatively young startup or something is to be really process oriented and disciplined so you know asking always the same questions because otherwise you have this conversation say so, well she said da, 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 and he said da, da. well did you ask him about that stuff so, no we never really checked on that with him and now you've got these completely different incomparable data points so and i i think it's so important that you have a series of interviews how many you have every one of them has a purpose it has a set of well-defined subjects and questions you're going to ask things you're looking for and i think that what you run into with a lot of people who aren't used to doing this is that it's like sales how do you how do you test for sales right you know, I know how to test engineers. I can get them to write this technical thing. I can ask them about these uh, technical issues. I can write some code or something. Um, and you can do exactly the same with sales. So I, I love the process that you described there. The other thing that I find um, really valuable is role plays. Um, and depending on capacity and role, often two role plays. Like in an early stage, they will role play selling their current product. And in the later stage of role play selling our product, and in that situation, they have to do a bunch of research and so on. So you only do that with kind of the candidates at the final stage. Um, and the, the point about that role play is if they come and give you an hour long pitch, you, you see exactly what you're mentioning, Chris. Someone likes hearing their own voice. If you hear someone actually run a sales meeting who really tries to have a conversation and understand and talk, um, then you, you see some other characteristics. So, so for me, that's a, a big part of that scoring. And you can pick that up through the interviews as well. Um, how many minutes do they spend talking versus listening? You know, uh, Paul talks about, you know, people having verbose answers being written or text, written or, or verbal. But that's actually important. If you're in, an hour, in a half hour interview with someone and they manage to speak for 25 minutes, they're probably not a very good listener. Um, because if I'm a salesperson and I'm in the, sitting in a sales interview, then I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sell myself, right? 
I should know how to do that. So uh, I totally love that systematization you came up with there, Paul. Um, well, or Mark Roberge came up with a new, and you um, shamelessly uh, ripped off, which is exactly what we should do, and there's great skills out there, right? Um, but even if you don't go through that whole, whole process, in hiring someone, you can beforehand decide which interview means and what questions are going to be asked um, and, and force people to do that so that you ask the same questions every time. And as I say, I think the role players can be really valuable on top of that. Mm. We, we've, we've, we've factored in that towards the, <clears throat> towards the end. Um, and it's remarkable. I mean, just a simple thing, pitch me your current product. Just, just can you do it? Can you articulate <laughs> the pain that you're actually currently solving? And you'd be surprised how many people are, I can't even do that. One more that we're, we're, you know, we're hiring a lot at the moment ourselves now. And uh, we do this for SDRs, but also we've decided to do this for AEs as well. Um, and this is more on the skills-based side. Um, you know, a writing test. How many people do a writing test? We do, we do a 300-word, only 300 words, we call it a micro-essay on any aspect of technology that you find interesting. It's unbelievable. And again, it kind of almost goes back to this bias thing because actually, you know, you can't hide there. That, that your personality is like, that you're, you know, that you can be introvert, extrovert. That's, it's kind of irrelevant. Can you, can you write some good, concise, you know, easy-to-read, flowing copy? And actually, it's quite an important skill to have because so much communication is email and so much communication is on social. It's short, you know, text style. It's more kind of like structured, structured writing. <clears throat> you would not believe. Um, we've had situations, we also do a video test as well. So talk for two minutes on anything you find interesting. We've had people that are incredibly eloquent on video who can't write. <laughs> It's like, why don't you write like you speak? I don't understand it. People that can't construct flowing kind of flowing uh, copy, but these are really important skills to have, and, that, and they do, I think, have, a, have an impact on sales performance. But and again, but it, it, I think it helps to weed out some of these some of these biases. Mm, yeah, to your point there, actually, around the, the two minute video talking about something is when I was building my coaching team at Payment Sense, I'd ask them to pitch me their passion. So what is something you're passionate about in life? And, and talk to me as if I know nothing about it because I can get an idea like how invested you are in that. If you can't even pitch me your passion, how are you going to get excited about what we're selling um, at the same time? And also, again, to your point earlier, how you articulate that as well. On the, on the flip side of this, if people are not careful with this kind of process, then what are some of the repercussions of, of hiring based on some of these conscious or unconscious biases? What are your thoughts on that, Ben? Um, well, you get people who don't have a good fit with your organization and possibly just get people who are shit. Oh, sorry. Possibly just get people who are rubbish or the family-friendly version. Um, I mean, the biggest issue I have seen is you do end up with a bunch of um, alpha males. And, and as happens, it is a bunch of alpha males, not females more often than not. And you do get um, the possibility of degree of sexism or other intolerance, which is just so completely anathema to the way our society is going today. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you bring people on who have a win at all cost mentality, they probably have a live life at all cost mentality, uh, which is probably not the kind of sharing environment you want to bring people into. Um, and, you know, I think the same the same thing. We talk about extrovert, introvert. I'm not sure those are perfect words, but the listeners and carers versus um, people who just like to project their own stuff. 
Um, and the latter, I think, are always quite toxic in an organization, in a sales organization. And you really need to work very, very hard to avoid that. And, uh, and, and they don't succeed more often than not. They may win some good deals because they've got some good contacts. They've got some good energy. They will, you know, they'll, they'll do the stuff, follow the process. But after a while, they'll get found out when things get tough or maybe they'll sell decently. Maybe they'll be in the top 50% of your people deliver or top 25%. But if their personality means that other AEs are delivering at 20% below value because they've got this toxic person in their culture, then actually, even if they're great, they're not good enough. Um, and, you know, you really need people to recognize they're part of a team there. So all of this stuff around how you listen, how you communicate, how you project yourself um, and how you work with others becomes so incredibly important. And if you get them wrong, um, you know, I've, I've seen teams where you finally get rid of someone and it's particularly it's a high performing bad fit because that takes you a long time to get rid of that person, right? CEO is never keen with you to hire the person who's hit target twice, three times in the last sort of four quarters or something. And um, you, you fire them and then suddenly the whole team goes, <gasps> and they open up and you see the other things happen. And that's, that's actually the worst case, a successful bad fit is absolutely the worst case. An unsuccessful bad fit is kind of more obvious to, to move on very quickly. Mm. I think just to add there as well is, is I, I think also it comes down to a question of brand as well, because if you have a team of people that are not giving prospects a great experience, that is terrible for your brand and that's terrible for your reputation and that will come back and bite you as well. Mm. Yeah. A number of times I've been in a, moved into a sales team, either as a full-time professional or to provide coaching and, and support. And I've done some sort of, um, uh, win loss analysis stuff and the number of times i said yeah i i yeah that salesperson just couldn't deal with them yeah and i wouldn't wouldn't work with them and you like people i don't think our organizations realize quite how often the salesperson's personality comes into it. we buy from people we like it's, it's a truism that remains absolutely true and if you are not projecting the right atmosphere for the customers then they won't buy from you and you will lose deals as well and it's a reputational hit. Yeah, the product, I think it's really, really good, but geez, their sales process is a nightmare. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 To your, to your point there, Ben, I think, you know, if you do then end up hiring a, a sort of unconscious or conscious bias of salesperson, you, you turn off a lot of your customers or potential prospects coming in because of course they won't resonate with these types of people. There might be some like them, but of course, you know, there might be deals where if you have got a, a variety of different people in the team, you could always go, it takes a good salesperson to do this. Maybe I'm not the right fit. Maybe I can't get through to this person, but maybe you're better off trying it with a different kind of tone, a different approach and it might work. Whereas if you've got everyone that's the same, you don't have that luxury, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, on the, on the flip side of this as well, when we're talking about hiring here, the way in which sales has evolved and particularly what's happened in the last sort of few months, what are one or two things do you think that are important for sales people or leaders right now to, to really harness and master to make them successful as we, as we move forwards? Is there anything in particular that you really believe in or stay true to you within your career or what you're talking to other people about? What are your thoughts on that, Ben? Um, you're thinking particularly given the environment that many of us are now in our own homes having to do this job that we're not used to doing kind of quite yes. so isolated and so on. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, I think this is, I think most of what we can say is true for most people in business, not just sales. Um, but at the same time, there is a very odd nature of sales that it's at the one time incredibly individual, right? 
you are the salesperson, you own it. On the other hand, it's incredibly team-oriented. You need great SEs, you need good marketing content, you need a manager who can really help you, you need sales enablement who can improve your messaging and all, all of those pieces that wrap around it in the ideal world. Um, and uh, for salespeople, so much of what they overhear from their colleagues is overheard or someone just leans back from their chair and goes, yes! It's like all of a sudden that's a buzz in the room. That person's got the next call, got the, the verbal, whatever it is. Everyone's excited, gives everyone a lift. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, how did you do that? You told us last week he was rubbish. And, you know, you'll see your colleague says, yes, well, this is what I did. And all of a sudden we're all very impressed by, you know, uh, whoever it is. And all of that's gone. That's gone completely right now, yeah? You maybe have a, like a thing in Slack where you go, hey, you just got a thing and people you know, click the thumbs up. And so I think there is a, a massive need for the right degree of communication. Um, and what you what you get when you start setting that up is people going bloody hell! I've now got so many bloody internal meetings, uh, and 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 then you get that that pushback, and you've got to get that balance right because in some sense, what people aren't realizing is they were having those internal meetings before, but they were doing them ad hoc and just having a casual chat for five minutes. And because you're not doing that, you have to force it. Um, so I think it's really important that we are we are forcing those things with good one-to-one as well as group conversations on a very regular basis um, so that people are sharing this stuff. And, and we can create imaginative mechanisms through you know, Slack or, or Teams, whatever particular mechanism you use as well. Um, and then you know, I think that um, the direct relationship between the, the, the sales manager and the individual reports, whether they're AEs, BDRs, SEs, whatever it is, is, is so critical here. Um, I think that uh, there are too many people everywhere, not just in sales, who don't recognize their personal responsibility at a, a kind of emotional morale level to their team members. And that becomes even more pointed in the current environment, even more in sales, because, oh, God, sales is such a roller coaster, right? Because every call you go, yes, there's been six where you've gone, oh, and that's, that's where a salesperson lives, right? And uh, you need those people around there to give you a pat on the back. And uh, if they're physically not there, then you need to make yourself there. And you've got to be phoning regularly. You've got to be phoning those people, phoning, Zooming, Slacking, whatever you're specific, but real-time audio comms on a regular basis. And to really make sure that that's not, hey, how's that deal going? Where, where's, where's my quarter? But it's, hey, how are you doing? What's happened? Oh, that one went bad, did it? Oh, that's a real shame. Let's not get into the... Uh, what the hell did you go wrong? Do wrong? At least not yet. Let's get into the. That's a real shame. Let's you know. Let's buck you up. Let's feel good about it. Let's recognise that nothing doesn't doesn't all work. And let's go after the next one and do more of that. Um, and I think it's really really important today's remote world. Um, and you know, sales has often had remote people, but it's just become completely extreme now. You've got a lot of sales managers not used to remote team members, and they're learning a lot about this right now. And that's critical. Lots and lots of real time comms on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I massively agree with all of that. I think you know the the, the, the ten fifteen minutes stand up every day is really really important as a team to check in. I mean, we do that. You know, sales and Better academy. We have now about twenty twenty or people, and we still have the you know eleven thirty check in. It's kind of evolved. The purpose of that's kind of evolved, but it's just very nice to have a time when we see each other on you know on. On Zoom, we see the list, we pile in. Sometimes we just it's just quite just fun. We check off a few things on on, on like Monday, we use Monday.com as well. So I think those those check-ins are really important. <clears throat> Going back to uh, 
um, <laughs> ripping off Mark Ravage. <laughs> I think the other thing that's, that's quite really important, if you've got, you know, if you're mature enough as a business to be doing this, is again, you know, the other thing that he always used data for was for, for coaching. So whilst it's good to good to have just kind of, you know, unstructured <clears throat> to a degree conversations with your reps, if you've got some data to see where in the sales process they might need a bit more help, that's going to help you to sort of focus on actually what is what is the sort of the individualized kind of like coaching plan um, for this rep. Uh, are, they, are, they, are they having problems at the, you know, the beginning of the funnel or maybe towards, towards the end? And let's really try and use data to try and diagnose the specific challenges and maybe do, do, to create some coaching around that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul and Ben, it's been a, a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your, your time and your stories and, and your insights as well and your references to books. Um, for people who this is the first time coming across you and want to sort of find out a bit more what going on in your world the companies you mentioned at the start where can they find you or or the or uh, your business so ben what, what what about yourself first of all what's the best place for people to go look in to connect with you uh, thanks chris um so uh, millergrowth.co uh, is my website and uh, you can find out who i'm working with and sort of things i'm doing there and i of course turn up on linkedin ben miller um again with the company miller growth great and yourself paul yeah, um, so salesimpactacademy.co.uk, which is the most annoying URL to type ever. Um, we're actually changing that quite soon to salesimpact.io, um, which is much, much better to, much better to type. Um, and yeah, we, we, we can be contacted through there. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. So just Paul Finefield on LinkedIn. Uh, you can contact me there as well. And we're, like I said, we're, we're sort of trying to help teams um, with you know, scalable, you know, world-class learning and development for sales and marketing teams in sort of B2B. Um, um, known Ben now for about kind of six months. Ben joined one of our sessions on In This Together. Um, and I'm sure at some point in the near future, Ben will be part of the coaching uh, setup as well, which is going to be exciting. But we've got a really great array of coaches, array of topics that we're helping around, you know, AEs, sales leaders, sales managers, CSM teams, SDRs, um, and, um, and, and, and a suite of like B2B marketing courses as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again, both of you. And for listeners, thanks for tuning into an episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now, have a good one and I'll catch you soon.